Welcome back once again to the Terror of Demons show, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity with co-host and author of the book, Kennedy Hall, and co-host Eric Sammons, gentlemen, Deus Volt, Jesus is King. Eric, what do you think of our intro? I was just about to say, I mean, I'm feeling pretty manly just watching that. Actually, I'm <laughs> like Now you're a man. I really feel like. Let's go become a martyr. I know, exactly. I'm going to run into battle, so... Yeah, so uh, pick up your copy of the book, Terror of Demons by Kennedy Hall, republished by Tan. Thanks, Tan. Got a great uh, cover on it now. But we are restarting this monthly show ahead of the first Wednesday, promoting devotion to St. Joseph. We're heading into a new liturgical year this Advent. And we're also coming closer to the second annual Canadian Martyrs Men's Conference. That's right. Kennedy, tell us about the conference this year. Yeah, the uh, Canadians Mar Canadian Martyrs Men's Conference, second annual, it's Stratford, Ontario. Uh, if you don't know where that is, if you know anything about Southwestern Ontario, it's like, I don't know, halfway between, roughly halfway between the Port Huron, Sarnia border and Toronto. You know, you're about an hour, hour 20 from where you cross the border if you're driving that way. Um we have uh, at least two priests. I think we have three going to be speaking. Father Rion is going to give the uh, the majority of the talks. Last year, Tim can attest, it was an awesome, uh, amazing full day of just great fraternity and and good talks. And there were cigars for everybody who came. Not that that's necessary, but it's definitely a nice perk. Um, and uh, it's it's different than a lot of conferences, you know. The one thing that we tried to do is make it uh, like a day where guys would come and just make a lot of friends. So there was stuff going on all day. So there's there's like games and raffles and and uh, and social time and all all built in. It's all in the same room the whole day after mass. That is, um, so that way we can have sort of this just full fun day with the boys. And this year we're gonna almost double in size. Last year it was about 120 people. It'll be about 200 this year, and. Um, those tickets are $100 Canadian, which is about $10 American conversion. <laughs> so, so it's a pretty inexpensive thing. It's uh, We're going to have a few Americans coming. I recommend for the Americans uh, listening that you do give it a shot. It's a nice month to come to Canada in February. Um, it's like going to northern Michigan, I guess. It's the same for Tim. But, uh, yeah, so check it out. The link uh, is right there. It's uh, We're buying the tickets through Eventbrite. Um, and uh, there you go. How far away is Stratford from uh, Detroit? 
It's just an hour over the border. Oh, uh, from, well, from De- well, from Detroit, it's like two, two and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I come. I'm coming through Port Huron, uh, north of there, but um, it's it's not too far into Canada. I'm going to be only two hours. Sorry, go on, Eric. I'm going to be giving some talks in Detroit. Actually, I think right around this time. That's why I was asking. I'm, I might be nearby well, more than I think. I got to check the, the dates on that. Okay, part. because it is also um, uh, it's only two hours from Buffalo as well. So it's actually it's a very we chose it. it's a very central location. It's not too far from our chapel for one, but it's a very central location. So it's really easy to get in from airports. A fella came from a friend of mine, Carrie, came from North Dakota or South Dakota last year. Um, just flew in, so it's uh. It's international. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's it's a really fa- it's a really great conference to have. Uh, one, the Latin Mass at the centrality of of the conference. There's there's a lot of good I, or good or mediocre men's conference out there that are not too bad in a lot of dioceses, but many of them do not have the Latin Mass. Most of them, I would say. Um, and uh, I want to highlight this. The the promo here is we say traditional because we are not interested in the worldly form of machismo. That so many confuse as real masculinity. That is the subject of today's show. Uh, but we have a quote here from Lefebvre who says, we must fight fearlessly to maintain tradition, to maintain above all the liturgy of the Holy Mass because it is the very foundation of the church. And yep. our, our show today is we we talking about fighting for the traditional, truly traditional Catholic masculinity against various worldly uh, forms of that. Now, the uh, impetus for this was Salmon's article, which has this very masculine, manly man changing diapers on it, it's hilarious, uh, which he, he titled, Anti-Feminism Can Be As Toxic As Feminism. Uh, so, Salmon's, uh, what what were you seeing that motivated you to want to write such a an inflammatory article that uh, that you wrote here? Tell yeah, I, uh, that, that's me, of course, in that picture, can't you tell? <laughs> um, I... Uh, I Actually, I saw a lot. I was seeing a lot of stuff on social media about masculinity, about what it means to be a a, a real man. And I, I, I know who Andrew Tate is. I know a bit about what he says, but I, I don't really know that much. But I would see other people share stuff he said or quote him or something like that. And then I would see other people doing this. And then what finally was the final kind of straw for me to that made me think I'm going to write this article is when I saw some woman who wrote on Twitter, if a man is ever changing diapers, there's something seriously wrong with your relationship with or with the or the home is a sign the family has much bigger problems. And the stupidity of that was just so great. I couldn't leave it go. I mean, because but it was a reflective of what I was seeing. The problem I thought the problem I, I thought I saw, which was that a lot of people were confusing the particulars with the principles that there are principles for how a family should be ordered and they're based in sacred scripture they're based in the tradition of the church and those are principles that we should never cave on and unfortunately most in the church today have caved on those principles but what it ha- what's happening because we have so little guidance from our shepherds about those principles I saw some commentators were focusing on the particulars, like a changing diapers type of thing, which is not a principle. There's nowhere in sacred scripture our Lord says, okay, dude, you can't change diapers. 
And so I was that that was really the impetus for writing this was like, say, let's focus on the let's make sure we know what the principles are and let's call out, frankly, our church leaders who don't uh, talk about the principles. I mean, how many of them are just terrified to preach on the teaching in Ephesians that wives should submit to their husbands? And then also, though, we on the other hand, though, let's not get it where we think traditional the traditional family order is trying to imitate what we think is 1950s Catholicism. And so it's really that balance between those two things that, that set me off. And how would you describe the, uh, this sort of worldly caricature of masculinity, this sort of machismo? Can you describe why that's not real masculinity in your mind? Yeah, I, I think, I think the kind of the, the worldly fake masculinity that we see is it confuses the idea of what it is a confusion of what strength is. And it sees strength as, as outward that you, you, you impose upon others, your strength. And so in a marriage, the husband imposes in a sense, his strength on his wife, on his kids. When ultimately what, what strength really is, we see in our Lord Jesus Christ, that, he takes it upon himself. He takes upon, in his case, the sins of all, the burdens of all on himself on the cross. And so a true masculinity in, in the family life, particularly, what you see is the husband is, is the strength of a, of a good husband is they are taking on the burdens of the, of the family. I'm not saying the specific tasks of the family, like washing dishes, and all that, like all of that. What I'm saying, though, is, is that it all ultimately is on them. And so that is the real strength of, of and, and so therefore the attacks on the family, the, the, the strong father and husband, he protects the family from doing that. The responsibilities of the family of, of providing and things like he's the provider to, to, to make the money and things. he's the primary person who's making sure for that. And likewise, spiritually, He's the priest, and so he has the strength of, of leading the people to Jesus Christ. So the, 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 the worldly view of masculinity is much more about like projecting strength out. And so that's why you get to the point where you have like guys, you know, shirtless on social media showing how strong they are or bragging about how many women they bedded. And really what that, that is, that's the opposite of true masculinity, uh, because uh, you could be a 120 pound weakling. I'm not saying people should try to be weaklings, but you could be that and be a very strong man. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I bet you St. Francis of Assisi was probably the 120 pound weakling in the sense of because he beat up his body so much. And in fact, there are, there are, I think some uh, things that describe him as a very small man, but yet of course he's one of the strongest, most masculine men who ever lived. That's great. I, I remember it reminds me of something I think Ripperger said one time where it was so, some man was saying to him, I'm not going to change the diaper. And Ripperger said, excuse me, you're responsible for everything that happens in the household. That's what being a man, you're responsible for everything in the household being done. And that means you make sure that if the diaper is left over, it needs to be changed. Do it. <laughs> it's like taking care of the household. Um, Kennedy, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, these, these false views of, of masculinity that you've seen? Well, I do have a lot of problems with the Andrew Tate phenomenon. 
Um, I think he's basically an antichrist figure. I can't stand him, and I mean that because he's a uh, he's he's pulling men into a false religion. Uh, he's pushing Islam, uh, but he's also weirdly very liberal in his religious ideas. Um, you know, he always talks about all religions being a different path to God and, and, uh, Islam is the only one that is the strongest, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he's, he's a disaster. He's also a pornographer. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but within the, let's say streams of talk about manliness within the church, there seem to be, uh, how should I put this within the conservative mainstream? Like I was watching something from father. Michael Schmitz, and he's really great on a lot of things, but even he seemed kind of timid to kind of call submission what it was. Um, like submission is submission. It, it's a word that has a meaning. It means to submit. I mean, it's a shocker, but that's what the actual definition of the word is. Um, and within the main, and I, and I, I'm, I'm sort of setting this up because I understand why there's an overreaction because in the sort of mainstream church, it's like, oh, John Paul II talked about mutual submission. It's like, well, yes, we both submit to each other insofar as it's not nice to say at your wedding, but we both are each other's cross in a sense. Um, you know, we have to bear each other's burdens. That's a cross, right? Um, to get to heaven. So we both do submit to each other's needs and wants and so forth as a husband and a wife uh, in different ways. So yes, there is a mutual submission, but but there has to be a hierarchical governance of the household. Otherwise, things just don't work. You know, there's a joke from the show The Office when they're going through a phase when um, they have um, two, two co-managers, and uh, the one accountant is like, you know, yeah, two managers. Where would we be without two presidents? Where would the where would the church be without two popes? You know, um, you can't have two heads. That's a monster. Having two heads is is literally a monstrosity. So there has to be one head. That's just the way it is. The, the team has to have one captain, one coach, and so forth. In any case, though, because there's a reluctance to just call this what it is, there's also this overreaction. That is. Um, to basically uh, transpose some sort of platonic form of what is assumed to be something like manliness and then set that forth as if that idea is itself an actual dogma of the church. And it's just simply not. And um, I was thinking about how to talk about this earlier today and I realized just how absurd it is that we live in an age where a man can be sitting in his air-conditioned office uh, with his food that comes in a little plastic wrapping, you know, with his little nail file in his drawers, if he has a hangnail, and uh, he's calling other men beta because they change a diaper. And I just, I just can't, I can't take this seriously. All of us are betas compared to the pioneers and the whatever, if that's your, if you know what I mean? Right. So you just have duties. You just do your duties. There's no other thing. It's not inherently masculine or feminine to vacuum or change a diaper any more than it's inherently masculine or feminine to change a stall from a newborn calf. You're just literally getting rid of feces. That's all you're doing. And obviously with women, there's a, an aspect where, of course, they're designed to be nurturers. That's, that's clear and obvious. So yes, the general rearing of the small children, it perfectly makes much more sense for a woman to be doing more of that. That's how God created things. But these duties of things, these are just things you do. To make them into these, these super dogmas is the height of absurdity. Is that so, good yes, enough? Yeah, yeah. So we were we were discussing this, um, and, and I really wanted to put a name to this because I think we do need to name and label this phenomenon in order to defend what is true Catholic patriarchy. Because 
a lot of our the critics of the church are actually attacking something that's actually not Catholic, and then they're rejecting the church and church's true patriarchy as a result. And then we have Catholics arising who are actually defending this caricature, which is then giving fodder to the feminists. So, so the 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 label that I came up with is neo puritanism. So here's what I have as a definition: neo puritanism is a feminacy posing as patriarchy. If you don't know effeminacy uh, from St. Thomas, it, it is def it defined as a reluctance to suffer due to an attachment to pleasure. Go read Kennedy's book for more on that. Um, but what the pleasure of neo-Puritanism is the pleasure of power. I, I think what Eric, you you really you really uh, nailed it. I think it's this this idea of strength where it's this external strength, this very worldly strength. It's not Christ-like strength. It's not imitating St. Joseph. But I think men are attached. They're getting an attachment because they feel pleasure in having power, having power over the wives or over their children or over other men or over people on social media so they can dogmatize everything and criticize everybody else who's, who's wrong. And they get pleasure out of that. And what's worse is the internet just feeds this effeminacy. And so men are that, that's why men i mean like internet we can't we can't have a man-to-man -man conversation everybody gets offended at each other and they got a response video here a response video there and comments <laughs> there and everybody's getting these dopamine rushes because the internet feeds this effeminacy and it's this neo-puritanism it's like i just love having power i'm just drunk with power as a man and i i've attached my pleasure to some form of power some form of my opinion of masculinity or my caricature of masculinity or whatever. And it just gives me pleasure to have this power and I'm attached to it. And as a result, I am unable to truly suffer, truly suffer and die for my wife and children. And then I act dishonorably and effeminately and call that masculine because I'm attached to power. So what are your thoughts on that definition, gentlemen? Yeah, I think that's good because I think it's that that uh, the difference between authority and power that we see is confused in today's church because people talk about, well, Pope Francis has the power to do such and such. Yes, he does, potentially, in some cases, not always. But the point is, he's undermining his own authority by abusing that power. And so a, a father, a husband has God-given authority over his family, over his wife, over his family. But what is that authority for? It's for the service of his wife and his family. It's not for a power trip to say, hey, I'm the boss here. When I want something, I will get it. So if I want something from my wife and I, and I say, I want this, I get it. I want dinner now or whatever the case may be, I get it now. That's, that is exercising power, like you said, it's the effemacy because it's the power, uh, it's the pleasure of, of having that power. But authority is that, that the buck stops with you. I mean, here's something I don't, I, I think fathers and husbands need to always remember, and this is what keeps me up at night, is that the salvation of your family does run through you. And it's not to say an adult kid is completely, you're responsible for every single thing they do or anything like that. But the point is, is, if you raise them poorly and then they go astray, that's part of your judgment. And so you got to answer for that. And likewise, your spouse, 
your responsibility is for her salvation and you have that authority over her, not so that you can get a power trip or you get what you want or anything like that, but because you have that authority so that you can lead her and the person authority is in the lead, they're leading the person somewhere, lead her to heaven. And so if she goes off on the wayside because you've been flexing your muscles, so to speak, then you've abused that authority just for, for the pleasures of power. So I think that's the key differences is like understanding because power we, we think of as the ability to do something. And technically, yes, a father has the ability to do a lot in a family. I mean, he has the ability to boss people around. Yes, that's technically true. But what matters is what is his authority? And that is, okay, That now we're talking about duties, responsibilities, things of that nature. Kennedy, any thoughts? Yeah, I wanted to take a roundabout um, tactic or whatever, roundabout view of this and why I think we're even in this position where this is such a contentious topic. So uh, two men that have really been influencing me, like two th scholars, I should say, that have really had a big change on my heart or whatever you want to say over the last about year, maybe eight months, uh, John Sr. for one, and then a French philosopher named Marcel de Court. And most of his works are not in English. There are some. It's very difficult to read. It's kind of like reading Aquinas. Like you can read it for like 15 or 20 minutes. You have to put it down. Whereas John Sr. has a more prosaic way of, of writing, right? He's more of an, an author than a philosopher. Anyway. But uh, Restoration of Christian Culture is a book that I, f I think all men should read. And one of the reasons is because uh, that book really focuses on how the fall of Christendom is the, is the fall of the real, okay? Because as, as Catholics, whether you're an Aristotelian or an August Augustinian or a Thomist or whatever, uh, or even a Platonist, what you're focused on is reality. And what does this have to do with masculinity? Well, Augustine shows us that the further we are away from God, in a sense, the less we exist. And he uses this, this is Augustine's cosmology, where he under, he says that the thing that is perfect and self-sustaining and immutable, that thing exists more than the thing that is dependent on something else for its existence. The further we get away from this divine sustenance and source, um, the less we are in touch with actual reality. The less we're in touch with reality, the more we become parts of things like virtual reality. Okay, what is virtual reality? Virtual reality is a reality that's kind of real, but it's not. It's virtual, okay? And 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 this is why, for example, in Marcel de Court, when he's talking about um, even even the way that we do things like farming in our day, a farmer who uses a machine where he can feel the vibration in his hands is actually closer to God than a man who sits in an air-conditioned booth and it's like sitting in a Prius that's just on GPS going across the fields. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because we are so far removed from virtue in the sense that Catholics always understood this thing. So now we get into this place where we're having this petty tit for tats about like, well, how many hours a week should a wife work? It's like work. What are you talking about work? What do you think work is? Do you think a nine to five is work? Yes, you're putting in hours that are part of production. But what do you think work is? Work is work is creative. You know, all Catholics who were working, there was never this idea of the full time work week. There were simply things that had to be done because there was a, a symbiotic ecosystem of a family within a community that had the church as the center that needed to happen based on the rhythms of life as a Christian. You know, a blacksmith didn't say to himself, I've got to put in 40 hours this week to make my mortgage. A blacksmith said to himself, I have X amount of pro uh, uh, projects to finish because I've been hired to do them. 
and then he put himself into those things. And his wife might, quote-unquote, work with him because she would come out and help him. I don't know. It's like, I need some kindling. Can you help me with the fire? Can you, you know, I need to change the water for this or whatever. She, there, was no, there was no idea that, well, there's work for a woman, and then there's work that she can't do. It was just, this is what has to happen. This is our reality. And then I'm going to delegate all the things that need to take place. So I think it's so difficult for, for, for men to even conceive of how to talk about things like women working or the changing diapers and things like that, because they're already using distinctions that aren't even real. They're not, they're not, they're, they're, these are artificial distinctions. The cubicle is not real. I know it's real, but you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trying to be a philosopher here. The, the, the sitting at your desk doing emails uh, for cold call marketing, that's not real. That's a, that's a task you're doing. Uh, so your wife's at home vacuuming or something. The vacuum's not even real. You're not even touching the dirt. We don't even touch the earth anymore. And so before men even get into these places where they're going to go on and on about, you know, well, I think it's okay if you change a diaper, uh, in like the third trimester of the pregnancy at some point, or it's like, it's just shut up, just go and be a real man and do real things. And you'll realize it all falls into place. But until that time, it's just like, you know, clanging gongs. This is, I, I love what you brought in with, with John Senior. I mean, this is the reality. I think, I think the virtual reality of the internet provides such a serotonin reward and attachment to pleasure to this virtual reality that doesn't even exist. It's just creating this masculinity that's out, out in this abstract world. And when you get into the real, the real life of being married and having children, you understand the 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 needs and duties and the reality of this thing called the family economy but you brought up the the pre-modern society and th this is key and, and eric's you've also brought it up Th and this is um i i want to put up my my second uh take here which is where does the neo-puritanism come from and i i thought of these different aspects to this uh one it's a failure to model masculinity on christ and saint joseph it's also a failure to model patriarchy on pre-industrial Catholic tradition, uh, which is like if you read Proverbs 31, it talks all about the family economy and you see the wife doing all sorts of work. Uh, and um, now it, it thinks that there's the, this 1950s ideal nuclear family. But not only what, what Kennedy just said in terms of the economy is so disconnected from real life. But the nuclear family itself is a corruption of industrial era because uh, the real Catholic family is is mom and dad and aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa. They're all living together and working together in a general community. That's the household and managing the household, being a patriarch is managing all of these things um, and being responsible for a great number of people living in a community um, where everybody pitches in and works together and there's a great deal of uh fluidity as as eric you said in your article there's fluidity between these gender roles um it's also i think a failure to understand that 19th century feminism is an overreaction to a puritan anti-catholic tyranny i talked about this in my book city of god versus city of man where the protestants come along and i mean there was not there was not a a like a female revolution in medieval europe um, obviously there's always ideals that are not reached in terms of these Christian ideals. But what happens is the Protestants come along and they destroy the cult of Mary. They hate Mary. They hate the devotion to Mary. They destroy it. They destroy statues of Mary. 
And then they create this Puritan ideal of masculinity that actually does subjugate women and turns them into objects and, and dethrones them from the, this, the, their, um, their throne within the family, as, as um, uh, Pius XI says in his Cassie Canubi, uh, this queen of the home, uh, St. Paul says to Timothy, he talks about women being queen of the home, uh, ruling their households, which didn't just mean the kids, but also servants and, and the rest of the household. So I think there's a, a failure to understand that feminism itself is this overreaction to this actual misogyny, this actual objectification of women coming out of Protestantism and Puritanism. There's also just a total lack of moderation and nuance. It's it's like being being masculine is, is basically making absolutes, as, as you said, Eric, in your article, is absolutizing all these particulars so I can impose them on everyone, my wife and children and everyone on the Internet and everybody else and, and just force everyone to accept my opinion, which has absolutely no moderation and no exceptions. Uh, that's just not masculine. Like the, the patriarch ideal is, is basically finding this moderate balance, which, which, as you said, we, we take on the burden of our wife and children, take on all of their burdens and all their needs. And, f and are, we are responsible for everyone. And that requires a moderation for every single soul in your family for which you are responsible. And then finally, it comes from these caricatures of masculinity from liberalism, Aristotelianism, Puritanism, Jansenism, Mohammedans also, and then these commercialized ideals, social media, weightlifting, bro culture, personality, temperament types. Um, so, Kennedy, any any further thoughts on the pre-modern aspect of, yeah. of this important question? Yeah, and let me also say, too, like, I... I'm in no way by criticizing the anti-feminist blah, 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 am I even considering any of the nonsense of the feminist idiocy. Feminism is ridiculous. Um, to make an ideology out of a, out of a gender is just absurd. It's like it's so stupid. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, no, I enjoy weightlifting and all these things as much as the next person. Um, but these things are, that, are things that are uh, at service of my role as a father. Um, so with regards to this, this puritanical thing too, you have to understand this puritanism is a, is a religion without grace. Protestants don't have sanctifying grace. Um, so there can only be the force of the will. And, uh, this is why within the Puritan sort of mindset, and you see this with, with the mas masculinity trad wife kind of thing. That's, these are two sides of the same coin. Um, they're they're the term in, in football is white knuckling it right like you know you're when you're on your fingers and you're about to fall over your knuckles go white you're holding yourself up by your fingers um uh this is a this is a movement based on human steam and it's not christocentric it's simply not christocentric this masculinity this manliness that's portrayed in this caricature it's not god-centered it's man-centered. It's still just a type of humanism. It's still an exaltation of this platonic form of the person as this archetype that must be reached, but on his own merits. Whereas a Catholic man is, is simply just a man who must be virtuous. 
He just must be virtuous. If you want to be the manliest man possible, yeah, I recommend working out. I, you know, I'm in my booth right now and four feet from my face is a bench press, you know, like I recommend these things, get a punch, do whatever those things. I understand. Have time with your, your, your boy, your guys. You have to have time with your guys. This is all healthy. Just like the wife has to have time with the ladies, you know, and get the same, the kibitzing and stuff they do. They have to do these things. This is part of their nature. Um, but all those things are at, are in service of your roles and, one thing I'll say before I hand it off to Eric is, um, you know, I have to bring up Archbishop Lefebvre because I'm not capable of doing a podcast without doing that. Um, but his mom and his dad were very successful at raising their children. Five of them went to the religious life. It's pretty good. Five out of eight. That's like Teresa Lucia family category. And um, the mother worked with the dad at the factory. Gasp! She must have been a feminist. I can't, you know, it must have been Mrs. Lefebvre must have been a proto-feminist because she helped work with the dad at the factory. No, because they lived in a multi-generational setting in the north of France where there was this, and, and, and their business suffered after the First World War when the sort of guild way of working changed and the Marxists took over. But it was a very Catholic environment. The dad was part of the sort of Catholic action movement and things like that and had this... Uh, the, 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 the administration and the workers all had this sort of harmony with each other. There was still a hierarchy, but it wasn't this bifurcated artificial union administration thing. He wanted to reject that really strongly. Um, and the mom would help with the female employees. And it was a situation in France where it was not uncommon for women to have to do some sort of work because that was just the economy that they lived in. Um, and they had um, nannies, nurses that helped raise the children, grandma and stuff were around. And it worked, and they were a bunch of faithful Catholics. They went, and and their 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 children became saintly, you know. So this also has to be taken into account that looking at this 1950s mentality, and again, I'm not advocating for any of this modern nonsense. I hate it all, but I'm just saying this 1950s thing is a complete artificiality. This idea you get on a train and you go to work and you and you work in the city, you come home and your wife is at home uh, with the new machines, and that's the thing too. I should say as much as I would hate to thrust on my wife to do laundry and stuff by hand. But even for women, the fact that everything they do is automated, that's been a real um, identity crisis for them as well because there's all these skills that women don't have anymore, um, which, which, which then it's like the idle hands of the devil's playground, right? This creates problems all around. So again, to reiterate though, um, if, if men want to actually be manly and wives want them, their husbands to be manly want themselves to be good wives, the first thing you have to work on on your virtues, just as in general, and you're going to have to go back to the real reality to do that. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, one of the criticisms I got from this article, which I titled "Anti-Feminism Can Be as Toxic as Feminism," is a lot of people are saying, "Well, it's not as bad as feminism. Fem feminism is awful." And I start by saying, my whole article starts with feminism has been one of the most destructive movements in human history. So clearly I'm not a fan. And I think though, it's obviously feminism is much more pervasive in our culture today than anti-feminism. I don't dispute that. The problem, I really do think it can be a problem though, when, when we react to it without a real solid understanding of these principles, I see it like this, like you, it starts in the family. Of course, it starts also in the church, your typical parish. What do you see? You see, there's a priest there, but who runs it? It's the older women. They run the parish. They 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 decide everything in the liturgy. They 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 run the whole thing, and the priest lets them do it. And so that example seeps into the consciousness of many Catholics, and they see that that 
they see an effeminate man who allows these women to, to run over him and do whatever they want instead of the, the, the priest, the pastor, being the spiritual leader. And so that's the most common thing, and that's awful and destructive. But what I see then in the trad community then is a reaction to that. And it should there should be a reaction. Obviously, that's wrong. But then you get these young men who they grew up seeing that crap. They, they come to a, a deeper understanding of the faith and start going to a trad parish. God bless them. That's what we want. That's great. But then they start thinking that, when they're now that they're getting the age that they're thinking about getting married and stuff like that, they have these ideas that, okay, I can't be like father Johnny who was walked over by, by all the women in the parish, or maybe even like my dad who that happened or whatever. I have to be the strong leader. I have to do this. And so they start embracing some of these things that frankly are just, will be just as destructive to their marriage as if they had been the the typical effeminate feminist type. And I'm going to bring up one example, which I don't really like this one being talked about a lot, but I'll try to talk about in, in a prudent way. And that is, you'll see where they talk about that a, a woman can never say no to her husband when it comes to sexual relations. And the principle here is that a man and a woman should always be open to each other in this way. And that is that is the principle. It just should be throughout marriage, that it should be the way it is. One should not withhold from the other. And let's be honest, the most common thing would be the woman withholding from the man, just because of the way the guys create both of us. And so the woman should not be withholding from the man in this area. However, the idea that a woman who says, Honey, I'm I'm just exhausted. I, I this today the kids were just crazy. Uh, you know, they, let's say you have four kids ages six and under, and they just ran a ragged. And she just says, "Honey, I, I just there's nothing sinful in her doing that." I mean, that that is just. And here's the thing: is the ideal is actually that a woman would never say no. You know why? Because the husband would never ask in a situation when he knew the wife was exhausted, was in a situation where just you know was just not. It really just wasn't a, 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 the way to go. And so I, I, I fear, though, like this man comes in, this young man doesn't really understand these dynamics. And he just thinks, oh, a woman who would ever say no or anything like that, you know, yeah, there is the problem of women withholding too much and being frigid and all that. I'm not saying that's not an issue. But at the same time, for the young trad men, they have to be realistic that if they are in tune with their wife, really looking at them as somebody I am trying to lead in heaven to grow and help grow in holiness, then they're going to be attuned to the, 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 the fluidity of life, that, that there are seasons in which these things, some things are, are more difficult than others. And this applies to all aspects of marriage, of course. But that's why I really, one of the main reasons I wrote is because the fear of young Catholic, traditional Catholic men falling into some of these voices on social media that make these absolutes, like men should never... Uh, change diapers. Women should never say no uh, to 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 a husband when when he wants to have sexual relations. Things like that. Those are just absolutizing these things, and it really is. Um, it, it's it's a recipe for a disastrous relationship, frankly. Yeah, I think that brings up just this the devotion to Saint Joseph and how Saint Joseph gives us this model of the immensity of his reverence for the Virgin Mary in their marriage. And 
the virtue of reverencing and honoring your woman and the charity of Christ who lays down his life to win the heart of his bride. All of which is a great love and thirst even for suffering, suffering for her sake, suffering for the sake of the children. And especially in that dynamic you just mentioned, Eric, there is an effeminacy attached to a pleasure, obviously. And if 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 there's if there is this sort of immature Puritan's idea of masculinity, it's going to re uh, ca cause destruction in families. And yes, um, so that brings up uh, what I was thinking of practical things. How do we incult, especially talking to talking to the younger guys, these young, single, traditionalist Catholics who are really zealous for the faith? And how do I cultivate true masculinity and patriarchy? And I, I thought, number one, get off the Internet and social media. It's just it's just a cycle for effeminacy. Here we are. On, we're on the Internet and we're telling you to stop <laughs> this video and get off the Internet. So. But this is this is really the this is the trick. This is how they designed these things. They designed these things to make you more effeminate because you get a serotonin dopamine burst with all your likes and whatever. And I think I just want to interrupt there because yeah, I think the key here is that some people will be called to get off completely and then and they, they will do that. But like realistically, I think the key is this is an opportunity for a man to be a man and in 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 one of the most important uh virtues for a man is discipline that you have discipline so for example all three of us are on the internet we're on social media but how do we discipline ourselves so for example when you get up in the morning are you grabbing your phone and and doing your doom scrolling doing your checking you know getting your dopamine hits and things like that and before you pray then that's a lack of discipline. If you're getting up in the morning, you're spending your hour in prayer first and foremost. That's what you do. And then and you have certain times a day in certain situations in which you are on the Internet for a purpose. So, for example, you're like, OK, from 10 to 11 a.m., I'm going to check. You know, I'm going to be on various uh, social media, obviously only things of a moral nature. I mean, I think that should go without saying. Um, but like. You, you turn it off and also at the end of the day, let's say you work a nine to five job. Well, then when you get home, are you present for your your wife and your kids or are you checking out your phone? I mean, that was a big thing for me as I found myself scrolling through Facebook or whatever on my phone. And I remember it was a big moment for me because one of my daughters, when she was like maybe five or six, came up to me to do something and I was too busy doing this and I kind of ignored her and she walked away and it was a big moment for me being like, that that's awful. And frankly, I was being effeminate <laughs> because I was more apt to get my pleasure, my dopamine hit than I was to be there for my child. And so I think the key here is know yourself. Some people, they can be, it's a lot easier for them to have that discipline of only having certain times a day, only certain places where they're on social media. Other people, you have to be honest with yourself. Maybe you can't control it. And then you really do need to get off. And of course, the thing that, especially for the young men, the 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 access to pornography, uh, that is just, I can't think of anything more destructive to a family and more effeminate and, and worse than, than that. And, and with its great 
access to it on the internet, men be honest. Don't act like, oh, I I I won't access it. No, you got to set up a million and one practical ways to avoid getting, you know, falling into that because that nothing will destroy your marriage and your family life and your soul, frankly, quicker than pornography will. Yeah, that's a great check. So it's it's Advent. Check yourself. Do you need to take a fast from ad from uh, social media until Christmas? Um, I put devotion to the sacred heart as model manhood. St. Joseph as the model patriarch lives of male saints. There's and there's 101 different models of masculinity among the male saints. They're all they have different ways of being men of God. And that's that's the difference. I and I recommend join the fellowship of St. Nicholas, 1peter5.com slash fast. That's our fasting sodality. Very important discipline to learn how to fast. If you can't fast, the devil has already got you and you're effeminate. I'm sorry to say. So get fasting, D discipline yourself, discipline your body. Find a ways wise patriarch to learn from. Find an older man who has a father in your parish, your own father, um, who can really teach you these things, and this wisdom. And you'll find that these wise men have this great moderation. They're not really interested in having power over people and absolutizing all these particulars. And then lastly, I have uh, join Catholic confraternities and brotherhoods. Uh, at our, our parish, we have Truths of St. George. It's a great father-son uh, confraternity. And also Fraternus is a great organization. Uh, other such organizations. Kennedy, any thoughts on practicals? Well, I, sh I should mention that our men's conference is being put on by our Holy Name Society. Um, the Holy Name Society is something that all, especially traditional parishes, should have. It's kind of like, what's well, it's not like the Knights of Columbus, and it's not an insurance company. It is a society devoted to the Holy Name of Jesus, Holy Name Society. And the idea is that men um, need to defend the Holy Name of Jesus in society. So uh, you take a pledge of you know defending that in your workplace and those sorts of things. But in effect... It does operate sort of like a Knights of Columbus in the sense that you have all these things that you do together. Um, so we're doing that Holy Name Society. It's it, that men's conference that we're putting on. Um, but I want to say two things. One, one of the things that I don't like about a lot of the modern masculinity movement stuff is that there is no suffering in it. And I'm going to explain what I mean. Listen, I work out I get it. Working out is not suffering. Uh, working out is really fun. Um, obviously, there's an as aspect of if you don't want to work out and you should work out and do something hard, that's the suffering. Basically, suffering is doing something you don't want to do. If you enjoy running and you get a runner's high from it, you're not suffering. It's good for you. Uh, it's obviously good to exercise, but you're not really suffering. Suffering is this hurts. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because I have to, and I'm going to carry that. Like that's what suffering is. Okay, um, so there's a lot of this within the masculinity push in our culture today, which makes its way into the church. It's like, oh, so and so is really disciplined. He got really jacked. No, he's actually really selfish. Um, he's disciplined in a sense, but he's actually really selfish because he planned all his meals for the week. He's on TRT. That's a big thing too, man. That anyway, that's another story. He's on testosterone replacement. He spends a bunch of money on supplements. He tells his wife he has to go to bed at a certain time because he has to go, get up and go to the gym. It's like you didn't suffer at all. You actually just made your whole life about you. Um, 
You did things that were physically difficult that brought you pleasure. That's not suffering. So the thing is you have to do a, like an, a, an examination of conscience. You know, right now, personally, I have about maybe two or three times a week I can work out and I wish I could work out more. And to be honest, the suffering is that I can't do it when I want to. And then often when I find a time to do it, because my wife is expecting our sixth child in like three weeks and like it's our oldest is eight. It's like a little bit of a crazy thing here. Um, sometimes it's like, oh, it's 930 and I'm exhausted, but I should work out now. Or, oh, I got to get up at 430 or whatever the time is. Like the, the opposites of things happen. I don't want to do. That's where the suffering is. But the actual working out, I enjoy. Last thing I'll say is um, video games. Um Video games are not intrinsically evil. Of course they're not. Just like playing cards is not intrinsically evil or whatever. But in our society that nothing is real, the last thing, in my opinion, we should be doing is, is recreating in a world of unreality. Um, I understand the desire to go do things of like fantasy. So my opinion would be like, okay, pick up a book. Pick up a, a you know, some sort of fantasy book that obviously doesn't have objectionable content. I get that. But, but we have so much of an atrophy. This is part of it too, is there's so much of an atrophy of the intellect in our society, which really affects the a men's ability to make decisions. Our, everything's automated for us. The, the AI, AI, everything. Everything's automated for us. Spell check. People can't even spell anymore. <laughs> when you go and play a video game, yes, it's a creative thing that the person made, but it makes all the pictures for you. It does all, it does, it's, 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 it's as if you're playing with somebody else's imagination and your imagination doesn't even have to work anymore. That's a real problem. Um, so for things like recreation, we've got to adopt these, these, these ideas of, you know, go play some music or go read an actual book. Uh, even watching a movie, I think in some ways is probably better for the imagination than video games. That's a other more of a philosophical thing. But the point is get off the video games because they also do feed the dopamine and, uh, in our society where we spend seven hours, eight hours, nine hours a day on screens for both work and, and non-essentials, the idea that we'd look at screens for more recreation to me just seems absurd. You know, something you said, I, I think, I think we, I, I think this, this is what you were, I'm agreeing with what you're saying, Candy. I do think it's important for men, especially young men to have physical activity. And I'm, more, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty anti video games, to be honest. I'll just be blunt. I, I, I have a hard time seeing, I, I've seen too many men who get caught up in them. And I mean, I, I know of husbands and fathers who will spend hours on video games a day. And that's just as, that's awful. Uh, it's effeminate, like we were saying. But I do think they're kind of tied together. I think if you are, if you're in a job that's not physically active, if you're like a, a bricklayer or something like that, God bless you, 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 you've got your physical activity. But if you're somebody who's in front of a computer all day, which a lot of us are, you need to have physical activity. Whether it is, let's say you have, if you have a large property and you're doing a lot of work around, you know, maybe you have uh, animals or, or crops or whatever, that's great. But if you don't have any of that, you need to work out and it may be running, it may be working out, whatever the case may be. Now, like Kennedy was saying, it can't be um, against your, your vocation as a husband and a father. So you can't be like you said, you got to find the times and it might be kind of crazy times. And that's, that's your discipline of saying, okay, the only time I can do this is four, three, one. That's when I'm going to do it. Because I do think that physical activity will help you resist a lot of the, uh, it helps you resist pornography, helps you resist sitting around and watching TV or playing video games all day. Um, and things like that. And that helps you to be more virtuous. I do think, you know, we're body and soul. 
So, and I don't think, I know you weren't saying this, Candy, because obviously you work out, but I just want to make sure, especially young men hear this, that it's in everything, there's a balance. If you sit around all the time, do no physical activity, you're on a path that bluntly will probably lead you to hell. I mean, to be honest, if you're on a path that is obsessed with working out, whatever the case may be, that's also a path that could lead you to hell. So the key is, yes, you're, you're involved in physical activity. I've seen this in my own life because I've, I have tended for many years not doing physical activity. And in the past year or so, I've taken up running again. I used to run when I was much younger. And I realized it does help me throughout the day, gives you more energy to be a better husband and father. And so I think that is something important. But again, if it's like, honey, I, I you know, I got to, I got to go run. You, 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 you take care of the kids now. And she was playing on going grocery shop or something like that. It's like, you know, you got to have that balance there. So a uh, definite physical activity, I think. And frankly, I, I just think that I don't really see the benefit, any benefits of video games. And, and maybe that's just me being the old man here. Um, I mean, the truth is, you know, I'm a, a computer geek I and mean, that's what I, I was. And I, you know, a computer programmer when I was a out of, out of college and everything like that. And so I remember all of it. Um, but I just think that it tends to be an activity that rarely is virtuous because it often leads to addictive behaviors and lazy behaviors. Yes. I'm sure there are people, some people who play video games in moderation, but I just know a lot that don't. Can I add one more thing, Tim, before you finish this up here, uh, actual, just pr- completely practical thing. Um, father Isaac, not known as being an effeminate man, known as being a little bit of a wildcat. He's got a great beard and he's a very manly Franciscan. And he joked to me one time and he said, you know, I don't trust men that don't have a dog. <laughs> and that's, again, I, I get it. We're just joking around here. But but again, animal husbandry is as ancient as man. It's in the Garden of Eden. Here are the domestic animals. Here are the wild animals. You name the ones, you know, th- this, is, this is part of our nature. Um, having a dog uh, will help you uh, be less selfish. You have to get up, bring them out, those sorts of things. Um, and there's just something primal about it. Just, I walk my dog every day and Jack's out in the backyard and I don't know, it's just peaceful. So I would recommend, especially if you can consider getting a dog, it's a very practical thing you can do. Excellent. I, yeah, I love that. Being, uh, present to your dog, uh, walking your dog, taking care of your livestock, very masculine things with lots of physical activity and suffering involved inconveniences and all sorts of things that go against the modern uh feminacy so uh once again go buy the book tear of demons buy it for yourself for christmas buy it for your son buy it uh wives buy it for your husband tear of demons click the link below you can also go to the conference click the link below to join us this february canadian martyrs men's conference with that Let's pray the prayer to St. Joseph. Kennedy, can you take the second half of this? Yeah, sure. Right. name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be, O blessed Joseph, do we come in our tribulation, and having implored the help of thy most holy spouse, we confidently invoke thy patronage also. Through that charity which bound thee to the Immaculate Virgin Mother of God, and through the paternal love which thou, with which thou embraced the child Jesus. We humbly beg thee to graciously regard the inheritance which Jesus Christ has purchased by his blood and with thy power and strength to aid us in our necessities. Almost 
O most watchful guardian of the Holy Family, defend the chosen children of Jesus Christ. O most loving Father, ward off from us every contagion of error and corrupt influence. O our most mighty protector, be propitious to us, and from heaven assist us in our struggle with the power of darkness, and as once thou did rescue the child Jesus from the deadly peril, so now defend God's holy church from the snares of the enemy and from all adversity. Uh, shield to each one of us by thy constant protection. So that, supported by thy example and thy aid, we may be able to live piously, to die holy, and to obtain eternal happiness in heaven. Amen. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for, Pray for us. us. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.